As we turn our attention to this sixth chapter here in 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul uh, has been defending his apostleship, and he's also reminded us that we're citizens of heaven. Amen? He goes on now to really encourage us in what it really looks like to be uh, a worker for the kingdom. And when we think about this, sometimes we're tempted to kind of, you know, say, well, they're workers for the kingdom. Those are pastors and full-time ministry people uh, and those types of positions that we would see in the church itself, when in fact the Apostle Paul is really encouraging leadership in all of us, that we as the body of Christ ought to look at what it is that we do with a very holy and a very high calling and say, Lord, here am I, send me, because we have all been called into the ministry of the gospel. Now, some of us are going to share the ministry of the gospel with other people by inviting children to VBS. Some of us are going to do that in the workplace. Some of, that, some of us will do that in our own home, just with our family. We have all been called to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, especially those people that are closest to us. In that sense, we're all in the ministry. And so Paul is now going to encourage us in the ministry that we have of the gospel. And so before we dig in at verse 1, let's pray and ask the Lord to bless our time together tonight. Father, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you, God, for the freedom that we have in Christ and also the freedom we have in this nation. And we pray that because the Son has made us free, And because we are free indeed, uh, Lord, that you would help us to be busy about your business and and as workers together for the cause of the gospel. And so, God, make us a powerful force to be reckoned with in this world. Let us not be silent. Lord, wherever we are, would your name be praised and your name be glorified and your gospel be preached. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Verse 1, 2 Corinthians 6. We then, as workers together, and the word that's used there for workers indicates those that are joined together for a common purpose or a common goal, as workers together with him. And the him, of course, is the Lord. And the Lord really has some very simple things that he's at work doing in this world principally with regard to humankind. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, amen? So we can expect God to be busy at the work of seeing people come to salvation through faith in Christ. That's what the gospel does when we share it. When we share the gospel, it's to bring people into the knowledge of their sinfulness so that they can see their need for the Savior, then identify who the Savior is. That's the Lord Jesus himself, God's own Son, that came from heaven to earth, who was crucified on Calvary's cross, laid in a grave, raised three days later, and is alive forevermore, making intercession for us. And because of that resurrection, we can have our sins forgiven. So we are workers together with him in what he is trying to do. The first thing that he's trying to do is to make people come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ so they can be saved that everyone should be offered that day of salvation and all should be able to know that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's our primary job as a church. 
Now, we do a lot of other things, and those things are wonderful, but the primary job of every Christian and every church is to preach the good news of the gospel. It's not to do social things. Social things are wonderful. And we do do them and should do them because they're a way for us to outreach. But our primary function is to preach the good news of the gospel so that people can be saved. The second step is that we would see people discipled so that they would grow in Christ and become better examples of Jesus so that this world can be affected by people who actually know the Lord and live what it means to be a Christian. And so when we join together this work that's being spoken of with him, it's a very simple thing that's in view. It's preach the gospel and see people grow in faith. That is the nuts and bolts of what the Apostle Paul is saying. Now, the minutia of that, all kinds of wonderful things. That's Sunday school. That's pastoral ministry. That's you sharing with your neighbor. That's us doing vacation Bible school. That's our missions teams that are right now doing amazing things in El Salvador and in Colombia. That's what we do around the world as we plant churches. That's all part of the same thing. But the primary function of the church is to see other people come to faith in Christ and then grow. That's really it. What we're doing tonight is hopefully helping us grow. We study God's word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Amen? So this is a part of the function of that very simple message that Jesus gave us as the what, what we call the, the, the Great Commission. Go ye therefore into all the world and make disciples of all nations. The first step is salvation. The second step is sanctification. Heading towards Christ, being like Jesus. And so in view, as chapter 6 begins, is us workers together with him. And we also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Now that almost sounds crazy in light of what I just said, doesn't it? It's like, how could anybody receive the grace of God in vain? And we'll dig into this in a moment. How could it be that the greatest message ever given to mankind could be rejected by anyone, and yet we all know people who have rejected the gospel, amen? I do. I have family members. I I have a person in my family that I can think of that not only has not received Christ, but has rejected, literally said, no, don't talk to me about that anymore. For he says, he's quoting there from Isaiah 49, verse 8, in an acceptable time I have heard you. In the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. For everyone there is a now moment. That moment when the gospel becomes visible in their lives, when they understand the truth of who Jesus Christ is, and they either choose to accept it or reject it. We're workers together on that mission to make disciples to preach the one gospel. The words used here in the original language, in the Greek language, 
that are in vain, eskenon. It simply means to go forth into emptiness. And if you've ever been, I don't know if you've traveled out into the, the desert here in Southern California, but there's a number of areas to where if you were to wander around the desert, you weren't watching where you were going, uh, you might fall into an old mine shaft because there's tons of them that are just, they're just holes out in the middle of the desert and they're not marked. There might be a, you know, a yucca bush or something next to it, but there's just a hole and it, and it goes into emptiness. One of the fun things to do if you're kind of crazy like I am is to take a rock and, and throw it in there and count and see how long it takes until you hear the report of it hitting at the bottom. You can tell roughly how deep it is. But when you toss that rock, initially you can see it, but then it goes into emptiness. And it's at that point that if someone were to fall in there, you can be very sure they would be dead. They would be falling into that emptiness. They would be disappearing into the unknown. And for a person without Christ, you will one day disappear into that which is unknown to you. And if you don't believe that hell is what Christ says it is, then it's going to be a real shock. You see, mankind has a choice to receive and believe or reject and suffer the penalty. The plan of God was Christ's work on the cross. And we put forth that message as his messengers, as his ambassadors. We, we want to encourage others through the ministry that we have in this life, through our living, that ultimately we are dedicated to this mission. And that's what the Apostle Paul was about. The Apostle Paul was about a very, very simple mission statement. Preach Christ crucified. Make him known to other people. If you were to ask Paul what his mission was, that's probably almost verbatim what he would have surely said if he was trying to condense it. I just want people to come to know Jesus. It was Paul who had gone to Corinth with that good news. And the church that he had birthed there was under attack because people were compromising the gospel. They were making the gospel the gospel plus works, the gospel plus legalism, the gospel plus Judaism. And so the Apostle Paul is trying to bring it back to us being an ambassador of the actual message. So we are all, in that sense, leaders in this endeavor. And I want to look at it from that perspective tonight. If the Judaizers had won, if Christ needed to be just simply intellectually understood, there are surely people that couldn't intellectually understand the good news. There are times that even though I do understand the gospel intellectually, there are times that it still is a marvel to me. I'm like, God incarnate in human flesh came to this earth and died in my place? Intellectually, that's hard to wrap your head around. Then you realize it's by faith that you've been saved. Amen? I have believed by faith, and God gave me the faith to believe, and I believed in the one true king, and I believed in the one true gospel, the one message. We have to fearlessly tell people about the good news. 
The truth is everyone can be saved. Everyone must be saved. The bad news is some people reject the gospel. But we have to keep preaching all the same. How could the gospel ever be in vain? Have you ever thought of that statement? How could the gospel itself be empty without content? Useless, into the void. How could the gospel be like that? The implication here is actually that it's counterfeit, that there's some other gospel. And I think the one sure way is to simply disbelieve it. The gospel is in vain to the disbelieving person. When you tell somebody the truth of the gospel, you say, look, Jesus died for you. They're going, I don't believe in Jesus. That good news actually becomes bad news. Because when that good news is rejected, it's also an eternal death sentence. So you, if you don't believe, Jesus made it really clear. No one comes to the Father but by him. Amen? So there's not another alternate. There isn't something else you can do. There's not another way. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And so the Apostle Paul here is saying, look, I don't want to preach the gospel in vain. And so he keeps preaching the same message. Because here's what happens a lot of times. When people don't receive the gospel, we try and find some other thing to say to them. And while a message delivered in a slightly different way is also usable and good sometimes, if we take the meat out of the message, we've messed with the message. If we make people believe they don't need to be repentant of their sin, if they don't need the change that's going to come, if they can stay in that which they've been delivered from, they're okay with God, then we give them an empty gospel. The gospel is the good news, but the good news requires the bad news. Amen? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's the bad news. There's none righteous, not one. That's the bad news. That if you do not receive and believe, you will perish. That's bad news. But the good news is you don't have to keep the bad news. Amen? And, and so the gospel can be preached in vain. When we pull back the truth of the gospel message, when I make it seem like in the end everybody's going to go to heaven, I have preached a vain gospel. Because the Bible does not say that. Jesus very clearly said there is a real hell. And he doesn't want anybody to go there, and neither do I. So I can't just pretend it doesn't exist. I can't pretend that you get to keep your sin and you're okay with God. There are some people that would like that to be the gospel message. Well, God's grace is actually so free, it is cheap. And you get to have the grace of God and you still get to continue in your sin when the Apostle Paul said, how then can I go on sinning any longer? Heaven forbid. Now, it doesn't mean you become instantaneously sinless, but it does mean that you have the same opinion about things that God has about them. And so I can preach a vain gospel when I change what happens from the gospel at work in your life. If I tell you that you do not need to repent, I am preaching a vain gospel. 
Because nowhere in Scripture does it say that you can have the grace of God without asking for the forgiveness of your sin. And if you ask, he is faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse. But you got to ask. You can't just continue doing things your way. And so we have to be careful unless we preach a message that makes the gospel truncated or makes the gospel false. Leave something out of it. Like God has lots of sons. That would be a vain gospel. If I tell you there's all kinds, you know, well, Jesus is one way, but Allah's another way. Buddha's yet another way. Krishna is another way. Animism is another way. If I tell you there's some other way, when Jesus said, I am the way, then I've given you a vain gospel. And so the Apostle Paul is honing in on preach the real good news. Tell people the truth about the gospel. And brothers and sisters, this is our, this is our joy. It's also our challenge. You see, that gospel went forth to Israel. What did they do with it? The gospel went to the Jew first. What did they do with it? They rejected it. Why did they reject it? Because they wanted to keep the law. They wanted to keep religion. They were very comfortable in the fact that they were the chosen. And so when grace came along, that grace was in vain to them because they rejected it for religious works. Can I tell you there are people today who are not Jews that reject the gospel because they want religious works? They think they're going to be saved by crawling on their knees on broken glass up the steps of a cathedral. They think they're going to get closer to God because they take some journey to some place. And they wander around a black cube. They think they're going to be saved by all kinds of works. They think they're going to get closer to God through their religious works. But if there were just simply more stained glass in here, we'd all be closer to heaven. And I'm not actually trying to mock. I'm, I'm telling you this is the truth. There are people who believe that religion can save you. Religion can't save you. Works can't save you. By the works of the flesh, Paul said, is no one justified. You cannot be made just in the eyes of God by simply doing good things for God. It is God's grace that saves. That's obtained by faith. That faith is a gift. And once you receive it, then all of a sudden change starts to happen in your life. Your mind becomes renewed. And the reason that Paul is taking this time and I'm taking this time with you is we don't ever want to cheat someone of the gospel. I want to make sure that when people make a profession of faith, they know why they're doing what they're doing. That there's a reality to the gospel. And part of that reality in this passage is, notice what it says, today is the day of salvation. Now, why is that? Because your Bible also says tomorrow is promised to no man. Today is always the day of salvation because now is the age of grace. 
and in the age of grace, which we also do not know when that will end, because in the trump, in a twinkling of an eye, the dead in Christ will rise, and we who are alive and remain will meet him in the air. There's going to come an end to the age of grace. And so the Apostle Paul says very clearly, now is the accepted time, today is the day of salvation. So there is an absolute urgency to preach the good news. Because you may have someone in your life like my sister. Now I happen to know that my sister was saved and she's in heaven. But she did not know that her last day was going to come. And she did not know that it happened before she hit 60 years old. And that's true for everyone. You read the stories in the, in the newspapers, in the blogs, uh, online, wherever you get your news. How many people do you see? Well, it was an untimely death. What that means is we didn't see it coming. Didn't have any idea it'd be today. That's why it's important that we preach with an urgency. Today is the day of salvation. Because we don't know about tomorrow. We live in L.A. All you got to do is get on the freeway. Your, your time on earth could be over. Right? You know what I'm saying. It's like, it could happen in, in an instant. I was on the harbor freeway coming north. Somebody was going south. And next thing I know, their car's in the northbound lanes. Over the center divider. Praise God, no one was in that lane, because I'm telling you, everybody would have died. Now, I'm pretty sure the guy driving that car did not intend to go over the center divider. So every moment, and I'm not saying this to frighten anyone or to make you paranoid or anything else. I'm telling you, today is the day of salvation. Putting it off till tomorrow may be an eternally fatal mistake a mistake from which there is no remedy I can't believe you'd say that no I have to say that because that's the message of the Bible nowhere in the Bible does it say well kind of you know you know just live out your life until you get too old and tired to sin very well and then accept Jesus That's some people's plan. I've actually had people tell me that. Well, you know, when I get too old, you know, and I can't really do much anymore, then I'll, I might think about this religion thing. That's not what Christ offers. Christ offers new life right now and eternal life that is both now and forever. Amen? Amen. Next, we see Paul, the extraordinary example. Pick up with me in verse 3. And I want you to do something for me as we go through these verses. In, in verses 4 and 5, you're going to see the preface in. In much patience, in tribulations, in needs. Would you look at it this way? Those are outward circumstances. And then when we get to verse 6, circle the word by. Also prefacing. These are causative agents. Their inward character. 
There are things that you already have as a believer. And so it says, we give no offense in anything that our ministry may not be blamed. I don't want God. The reason I showed you, kind of somewhat jokingly, this violation is I don't want God to get blamed for our actions. It ties into this passage. It's not that whoever was responsible for this is, you know, the greatest sinner that ever, you know, landed on planet Earth. They were probably very well-intentioned, but we don't want to shame the name of the Lord. That our ministry be not blamed, but in all things we commend ourselves as ministers of God. It's like, look, I want to be able to say that everything we do as a church, everything I do as a pastor, all that we do together collectively as the body of Christ in this world, that God would receive glory for it and never would he be shamed. It's one of the great tragedies of scandal within the church, isn't it? Because non-believers blaspheme God. They go, see, that's what Christians do. Why would I want to be like that? I mean, if I wanted to be an adultering, you know, thief, I could do that without Jesus. And yet you see a pastor land on the front page of a newspaper, and that's what's going on. Who gets the blame for it? God does. And so the Apostle Paul, drawing attention to his own life experience and how he handled himself in this world as an example, an extraordinary example of encouragement encouragement to me to us but in all things we commend ourselves as ministers of God in much patience anybody in here had their patience tested today that's outward because the reason you need the patience is because of the circumstances in your life amen you understand what I'm saying Outward circumstances have forced you into a place to where you need the patience of God to be the child of God. In tribulations, any of you had a problem or two today that came upon you? Uh, Maybe because, in fact, you're a child of God? Have you had any of those things today? In needs, anybody in here have a few things that you need from the Lord that you don't yet have? In distresses, Those things which press down and emotionally cripple us, mentally agonizing for us, in stripes, physical hurt, harm. I I would go so far as to put things like cancer in that category. Things where, where the world has had its way with us. And whether you got it from, you know, non free range chicken or not, I can't tell you. But the fact of the matter is, we may have some stripes to deal with in this life. And imprisonments. And you can be imprisoned physically, you can be imprisoned mentally, emotionally. In tumults. Those things where your life is just in chaos. Anybody had any chaos in your life recently? Things that have come along you didn't see coming, you wonder why the storm is in your house? in labors, just plain working hard, which results in the next thing, in sleeplessness. You got children, I was talking to a guy today on the phone, and he said to me, I think I would be better dead. 
That's how he started our conversation. I get a phone call. This is Pastor Jeff. I think I would be better dead. I was like, no. And you begin to listen to the story. I was like, God, help him. He's way beyond himself. He's not sleeping. He doesn't know what he's going to do, how he's going to get through this situation. Called in because he, he heard a message on the radio. Can you help me? You see, the life of the child of God isn't exactly a cakewalk all the time, is it? Amen? We go through some stuff. And fasting's denying ourselves. Now notice that it switches to by purity. The way that you go through tribulations, needs, distresses, stripes, imprisonments, tumults, labors, sleeplessness, and fastings is by purity. These are the inward characteristics that happen to you when your mind is renewed and you're walking in the Spirit. These are the things that come to you as a child of God. When you receive the good news of the gospel and you are a child of God, you begin to walk in the Spirit, you begin to offer your body to God as a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable service. As you do these things, then this is the result, and these results are what keep you walking when times are hard. This is what happens to us as a child of God inwardly that keeps those things outwardly from crushing us. Remember Paul said in distresses. He was pressed down, but he didn't die doing it. Amen? By knowledge. Where does our knowledge come from? By the word of God. Amen? By long suffering. Now look, none of us like to suffer at all. If you do, you're weird. But none of us really like to suffer long, amen? It's like, okay, I don't like to suffer at all, so long-suffering, forget that. And yet long-suffering is a quality and characteristic of Jesus himself, isn't it? You want to know how I know that? Me. I know that Christ is long-suffering because of me. He's had to deal with me my whole life. And those things that you, you can all think on something in your life that you're going, he should have killed me. This is the 814th time. That's my favorite number. Connie knows that number. You guys have that? Like one weird number that you just pull out. Every time there's some kind of weird number, you need, it's always the same number. Mine's 814. You now know it's the secret's out. That thing that you just, you do, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, Lord, I'm so sorry. When Jesus said, how many times should I forgive? He said, I, I say to you, not seven times, not 70 times, but 70 times seven. And he didn't actually say that. What he said was as many times as it takes. That's how long-suffering the Lord is. So when we're sharing the gospel, guess what we have to be? really long-suffering because people aren't going to get it the first time they're going to reject they're they're not going to believe that you're pure they're not going to believe that your knowledge is what you say it is by kindness by the holy spirit 
That ought to be a dumb moment for all of us. You're indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. As a believer, one of the things that you were given when you said yes to Jesus is an indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You actually now have God dwelling in you. You're you're empowered by that Spirit. And greater is he who's in you than he who's in this world. Amen? John declared that truth to us in 1 John 4. He is greater who's in you. So your patience that you need, your tribulations you endure, and your needs that you have, and your distresses and stripes and imprisonments are all met by the resources of the Holy Spirit. By sincere love. That word sincere, again, I remind you, sincere. It's a word that means without wax. It means there's no impurities in it. The statue of Jesus is real. It's all marble. There's no wax with marble dust in it to fill in the imperfections. Sincere love, real love, absolute love, perfect love. That perfect love, your Bible says, casts out all fear, doesn't it? That kind of love endures all things, hopes all things, believes all things. That kind of love never fails, does it? You see, what's happening here is Paul is building a case. He's saying, look, I want to be an encouragement to you because all these things look so negative. You mean I'm going to have needs? Yeah. I'm going to have labors? Yeah. There's going to be sleeplessness? Yes. Going to go without food? Yep. Might even get imprisoned? Stripes? Yes. Tribulations? Yes. You're going to be over your head in need of patience? Yes. But greater is he who's in you than he is in this world. And the power that's in you flung the stars into space. So figure that one out. See who wins. Amen? So Paul's saying, look, you're going to go through stuff. But the one in you is capable of all the stuff you're going to go through. He can get you through it. The word of truth. Jesus is the truth. And the word is in you as well. By the power of God. You know, sometimes we, we kind of walk around as Christians like, man, I, I'm, I'm, I, I got really beat today. And we do, and I'm not minimizing anyone's pain. I myself have those days. Talk to Connie for five minutes a, a, about me, and please don't gossip, but just ask her, you know, does Jeff ever ha- hang his head occasionally and go, I just don't know about this stuff. She's going to tell you yes. Why? Because sometimes you you don't rest in the spirit that's within you. Sometimes you don't rest in the power that's in you. Sometimes you take those things upon yourself and you run out of yourself because the arm of flesh can only sustain you for so long. And so Paul says, look, if we're going to encourage one another, encourage one another in these things. By the armor of righteousness, the same armor that Paul tells us to put on in Ephesians 6, amen? Put on the whole armor of God, not part of the armor of God. I've watched people go out with just the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Oh, they know the Word, but they got zero faith. And so they go out slashing around with the Word, and you know what happens? The enemy sticks one in their back. They don't know who they are in Christ, so there's no helmet of salvation. Guess what happens? Something comes, and it tests whether they really are a child of God. Guess where they fail? Their mind. 
They don't remember who Jesus is. Their heart is not covered by the breastplate of righteousness. Guess what happens? All of a sudden, they're back to that whole works thing. And guess what? You don't match up. You have to walk in the whole armor of God. All of it. So Paul says, look, as you think on these things, on the right hand and on the left, you need to be girded up, you need to be ready to roll, and you need to be resting and trusting that God can do these things in and to and through you. Paul himself encourages them with his own testimony. He says, look, in all of these things, all the stuff that we're going through, And he gives us now a series of paradoxes and contrasts, if you will. Things that when you look at them, they're they're polar opposites, and yet spoken of in the same breath about the same person. We would call that divine paradox when it refers to God. By honor and dishonor. Paul's saying, look, my own testimony is I've been honored and I've been dishonored. Paul says, my own testimony is by an evil report and a good report. I'm always kind of interested, and I don't make it a habit to look very often, but every once in a while I'll look at our Yelp reviews or, you know, online things where people are commenting. And for the most part, they're really, really nice. And then there's that one person. It's right in the middle. The the devil owns that church. Pastor Jeff guys from the pit of hell. You know, you, you, you initially you don't think of that, but then you start going like, well, what did he hear that he made him think that? Good report, evil report. Some people would say, great church, other people, all oh, that Pastor Jeff. As deceivers and yet True. The Apostle Paul was accused literally of being of the devil. And other people are saying, I owe my spiritual life to the Apostle Paul. That's unknown and yet well known. You know, it is the weirdest thing. To on one hand, you, you walk around the church, and I speak for myself, and most people know who I am. But I go someplace where nobody knows me, and nobody knows me. And so you could have two different ways of living in those moments. And Paul's saying, look, I want my witness to be the same in both places. Whether people know me or don't know me, whether they know good about me or they think evil of me, whether they honor or they dishonor me, I want my character to be exactly the same to everyone. So that whether someone does or does not know you or someone believes you're true or a deceiver, known or unknown, and he finishes it off as dying, yet and behold we live, has chastened and not killed as sorrowful and yet always rejoicing, as poor and yet making many rich. How, how could the Apostle Paul make anybody rich? Have you thought about that one? Well, it's real simple because the most valuable thing I have to offer anyone is the good news of the gospel. 
That's eternal currency right there, isn't it? It's something that will last forever and never fail. And so he said, look, my life's about the gospel. Having nothing yet possessing all things. Paul understood who, who he was and he speaks these series, the series of paradoxes and what he's really saying is not that he was appealing so much for their appreciation while I, I think everyone likes to be appreciated. I know I do. You know, I'm not a big fan when people send in emails that are unkind. And, you know, it's not like you go, praise the Lord, I just got beat up today. You know, that doesn't happen. You know, you introspectively look at that and see if there's any truth in it. And you try and process it and remember what you said five years ago. Because that's what I have to deal with. I was listening to a message, didn't they qualify it in 2013? You know, and you said this. And I go, wow. <laughs> I'm not quite sure what I had for lunch today, but I know it was food. No, you, you don't understand what I'm saying. You... You, you, you want people to, to think the best of you. The fact of the matter is not everybody's going to do that. And so if you're only going to preach the gospel, if you're only going to give the good news to people who like you, you aren't giving very many people the good news. If you will only preach the gospel to people who will meet your needs, you're not going to give the gospel to very many people. Paul says, look, I want to be an example to you, so I don't care whether I'm rich or poor. I don't care whether I'm liked or unliked, known or unknown. I couldn't care less whether you honor me or dishonor me. I don't care if you think of me as being dead or whether you think of me as being alive. It, it doesn't matter to me. Even in my sorrow, I want to rejoice. And, and the, the blessings of poverty is if you don't have anything, you don't have to maintain anything. Amen? Amen? You know, it's an interesting thing that goes on, and, and I'm not suggesting that I have every answer to every homeless person's problem, but I have actually talked to homeless people, and very often they actually enjoy being homeless because they don't have to answer to anyone. And I started thinking about going, you know what, that's not bad. <laughs> I might be able to do that. You know, you have those bad days where, you know, it just seems like everything's caving in on you. You go like, well, I can just grab, you know, kind of like the old hobos from the, from the railroad days. You just hop on a train, wherever it stopped, that's where you are. And I'm not suggesting it's not an important problem that we're dealing with in our culture. But I am saying to you that the more stuff you have, the more responsibility you have. And the more responsibility you have, the more people are going to be involved in your life. And that comes at a cost. You don't believe that, it's called paying bills. Amen? Amen. Honey, what's this for? Paul's saying, Look, what price did I pay? Any price necessary for sharing the gospel. some additional and final contrasts. Paul said he's sorrowful, means to be grieved. It's used very often in the New Testament as one who grieves the Holy Spirit. But the point here is if you can't be loved, you won't be grieved. Grief comes out of an actual desire to be loved. 
We grieve over people we love. We do not grieve when someone like Saddam Hussein ends up, you know, getting what is due him for being a war criminal. Nobody sits around and goes, oh, poor Saddam. Poor Pol Pot. You know, I felt so bad for Stalin. Grief is associated with love. Now, their families would have all grieved for them. Because as evil as they were, they were still loved by their families. And Paul's saying, look, in this circumstance, in this situation, I'm sorrowful, I'm grieved, it it hurts. But I'm still rejoicing. These things I'm going through bother me. But I'm still rejoicing. He had that perpetual burden of, of people's souls. And I'll give you a little insight into pastoral ministry. One of the most painful things that I deal with personally is whenever I hear of a couple that I have performed their wedding getting divorced. It has happened very, very infrequently, very rarely in my own pastoral ministry experience. But it has happened one time to my own nephew. And it is a piercing of my soul. It's like, Lord, did I miss something? I sat with them and did counseling. I I believed I had heard from you. And just like that, a broken marriage. That usefulness for the king and for the kingdom comes at a very high price. Because those are eternal things that you're dealing with. When you're being used in someone else's life, you have a responsibility in eternal things. Now, I know when I get to heaven, I'm not going to be held responsible for all the behaviors that led to that. But I am grieved. It does pierce my soul, and I bear that, I carry it around. It does not go away. Does it get more tolerable as I get older? Yes, a little bit. But it hurts. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, look, I'm sorrowful. There are things in ministry that just pierce our hearts. But I also rejoice that a vast majority of those that I've had the privilege of standing in for the Lord that they're wedding ceremony are still married and walking with Jesus I've buried people it's like Lord I don't understand I've visited people in the hospital I've held children in my arms while they die it hurts but there's also a rejoicing that happens that the Lord would entrust to us those painful things so that he could use us in that moment. So there's sorrow because we love and care. And there's rejoicing because we know ultimately it's God's work. That what we do, we do for him. So sometimes you're going to share that good news and it's going to get rejected. And it's going to hurt because you really care about that person. 
maybe that person is, is a relative. And it's going to really hurt. And again, just from my own life, you know, when you have a family member that you have shared incessantly, and that rejection comes, make no mistake, you, you know that one day there's going to be a day of reckoning. And that just because they're related to you doesn't mean they're going to get a different deal. Nobody's going to be saved because they were related to Pastor Jeff. They're going to get saved because they believe in the only begotten Son of God. That's it. That's it. So I can bear exactly the same pain as a pastor that you can as someone who's here tonight studying God's word with us. You see, that, that gospel can go out and people can choose to reject it. We pray they don't, but they do. Paul was such an incredible encouragement to the church. Primarily, in my view, because nothing mattered more than Jesus. Nothing mattered more than Jesus. Now, it doesn't mean that the Apostle Paul was disassociated from life and living. Far from it. Exact opposite is true. I, I think Paul not only wandered around with, a, with a, a measure of joy and even happiness, because he understood, as Ephesians 3 says, he wrote it, the unsearchable riches of Christ. Amen? When I understand the unsearchable riches of Christ, then I can look at some of these things that I've just described to you and go, you know what? But God. But God, but Christ, but heaven. In his missionary travels, you would almost say it it looks like God had abandoned him. And I look at it this way. It's almost like God purposefully allowed the, the great apostle Paul to go through these things because of how rich Paul was. Because of how incredibly rich in Christ Jesus Paul was. And God knew that all those things he was going to go through were going to ultimately be used for the glory of the gospel. For the preaching of truth and righteousness. There's a story and probably most of you know that General William Booth was the founder of the Salvation Army. And he himself was born in almost abject poverty in Nottingham in England. His father had died by the time he was 14 years old. By then he was already working full time helping out the family. His mother ran a shop in a poor neighborhood. And by the time they start this thing that would become the Salvation Army, most of the people that were in it were also fairly poor off. They, they were not rich by any shake of the imagination but a very wealthy man, Cecil Rhodes, who is the builder and the founder, if you've ever heard of the De Beers Diamond Company, he's the founder of the De Beers Company. And at the time, he was one of the top 10 wealthiest men in the world, became a friend of General William Booth. He would go on to control all of the gold and diamond mining in South Africa. 
and eventually would be for a time the wealthiest man in the entire world. And one day, General Booth was sitting and having a cup of coffee with Cecil Rhodes. And he said, do you mind if I ask you a question? And Mr. Rhodes said, no, not at all. By all means, go ahead. Are you happy? And Cecil Rhodes said, me? Of course not. I haven't been happy in years. And he went on to explain, if you had to control all of the things that I control and go through all the things that I go through, you would understand that things do not produce happiness. Jesus said the same thing. There in Luke 12, a man's life consists not of the abundance of the things which he possesses. And he would speak to the the rich man, remind him that, fool, this night your soul shall be required of you. Where then will all these things be? And so Paul's final encouragement as having nothing and yet possessing all things, literally being destitute, but at the same time being the richest person on the planet. Isn't that a paradox? Having nothing, literally being devoid of things, worldly things, and yet somehow, in God's great economy, possessing absolutely everything. Let me tell you how that happens. You are sons and daughters of the king of of the heavens and the earth. And everything that the Father has is your inheritance. So as a child of God, while for a time, a very short period of time, rather like you could look at it in an eternal sense, uh, when you're an infant and you're here on this earth, how many of you remembered how much baby food you had to eat when you were an infant? Surprisingly, no hands are up. Why is that? Because relative to your life, it was a very short period of time, amen? And it was a very minor part of your life compared to the entirety of your life. So what you do remember are all the other things. And such is the child of God. Because when you look at your life on this earth, as James said, it is a vapor. It is here today and gone tomorrow. And then one day you're going to step into eternity. And all the glories of heaven are yours forever. Amen? That's why Paul could say he was rich. That's it. Now you have to believe that and receive that. Because I can tell you, we can applaud, we can say yes and amen, but you have to own it. You've got to receive it. You've got to believe it. Paul considered himself fabulously wealthy even though he was stone broke. He didn't have a a penny in his pocket. But he knew one day he'd be walking down his street and his street would be gold. Amen? 
Like, I don't need gold. Where I'm going, they do paving with that. That when the new Jerusalem comes down, it's going to be made out of jewels. Ah, who needs jewels? Got those coming. How are you going to pay for all? Well, there's no money in heaven because everything already belongs to you. No currency. It's all yours. And so that good news of the gospel brings you into the right relationship with the Lord of heaven where he adopts you into his family and he calls you his son or his daughter and he says, here, this is all yours. That's why Paul could write to the church at Ephesus, how unsearchable are the riches of Christ. That's who we are. And that's our encouragement tonight. I don't want to minimize anybody's troubles, trials, tribulations. You're buffeting. But the answer is Christ. Amen? Amen. The answer is our eternal kingdom. The answer is what what seems like an eternity on this earth is a vapor. But eternity is eternity. And it's forever. And so Paul says, look, I may not possess much here, but I have everything there. And so I can't wait. Man, he wanted everyone to know that message. And we should want everybody to know that message. Amen? Amen. Would you stand? We'll close in prayer. And I want to invite you tonight. Maybe you're visiting with us. Perhaps you've come and you've never heard the gospel presented. It was presented tonight. You didn't know that you could have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and thereby be forgiven of your sin and have your life changed forever, but you can. And so some pastors are going to come forward and after service I would invite you to come and just ask one of these pastors what you need to do to be saved and here it is confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and you will be saved he is God's son he's God incarnate human flesh he came to this earth to die for you and if you believe in him confess your sin you will be saved father thank you Father, thank you for the unsearchable riches that we have in Christ Jesus. And Lord, we offer up our lives again to you as living sacrifices. Thank you that somehow, through the incredible power of the Spirit's work in us, you impart to us your own righteousness. And so when you see us, you've been justified, sanctified, By your blood, Jesus, thank you for that sacrifice for us. Lord, thank thank you for our bank account we have in heaven. And we pray, Lord, that you'd help us to share that 
good news with anybody who will listen. And even if they won't listen, Lord, help our lives to be a testimony so that they would know there's something different. God, we bless you, we praise you, we honor you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.